Hello, and welcome to The Art of Listening, a new podcast for anyone who enjoys learning about classical music, music instruction, and the art of listening. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and I'll be your host today. With me, as always, is Maestro Gabriel Gordon. Gabe, how are you today? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing great. It's uh, just a wonderful day here in Ogden, Utah. It certainly is. We've got a lot of great stuff going on. You know, last week we put out an amazing episode featuring one of your friends and composer. Uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you might have learned from how to write classical music that you might not have known before listening to the episode. Yeah, you know, uh, Alfonso is just such a, a, a great speaker and he spoke so much about uh, what his process was and how he relates to different forms and really how his music has evolved over time. It was a really great conversation. Certainly check that stuff out. You can head on over to gabrielgordon.net. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, even on Amazon. Anywhere you have your podcasts, we are here. This is The Art of Listening. And Gabe, today we're going to be talking about a subject that hits musicians at the very earliest stages, hits musicians even at their yeah. later stages. Today we're talking all about memorizing music. Uh, you, you memorize music, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, and it, it's really interesting because they, I actually have two different ways of doing it depending on what it is that I'm doing. Um, it's an important skill to know as a musician. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's absolutely necessary and sometimes it's not. But that's what we're here to talk about. Well, you know, if you look at it, memorizing music or memorizing anything is the oldest form of passing on knowledge. I mean, whether it be a simple song or a story, right. you know, the reason why melodies are so uh, catchy is so that way you can hear them on one or two uh, cycles and then take them over. I mean, um, think about happy birthday, right? You hear it a couple of times and suddenly you know the words, you know the tune, or even something like Twinkle Twinkle, which we all know is the ABCs or any variations of those kind of things. That same tune is easily picked up. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about all this stuff. I mean, me memorizing music, memorizing songs, memorizing tunes. What makes music so memorizable? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting because you know, that subject you brought up about uh, us memorizing music, it, it music itself can be used as a memorization tool. And as a matter of fact, that's how um, our ancestors very often pass stories down uh, and were able to pass stories down accurately because there was something attached to them. So when you try to turn the thing around, uh, it you really do come back to telling stories. And, uh, you know, some of the great um, some of the great teaching techniques like uh, Suzuki in particular uh, really emphasizes the need for memorization of the music. And that has to do with a lot of you know, practicing techniques. So Suzuki, I think, emphasizes this in particular because in order to memorize the music, you have to practice it. So if you don't make practice the goal, this was Suzuki's strategy for getting people to practice, really. If you don't put the focus on practice, but instead put it on memorization, well, so if you have a student who hasn't quite memorized something, oh, well, you need to play it 
a little bit more in order to get it memorized. So that was his strategy to get people to practice more through memorization. So, and, you know, but there are other reasons to memorize uh, music when you're when when you're you know in front of an orchestra um it, you know whether or not you're conducting or you're playing solo um or something like that whenever i uh conduct an orchestra i like to do so without the music stand in front of me i find just personally that uh the music stand actually gets in the way of my communicating with the players and and as well, the act of turning the page distracts me for a moment every single time I have to turn the page from focusing on the music and the players. So I just like to memorize my scores because, first of all, you kind of have to anyway. You can't like look down at the score and actually see all the notes. So you kind of have to do that anyway. But also because I don't want to have to turn pages and I want to look directly at the people who are in front of me. Well, let's see if we can unpack all of those things. And of course, if you have any tips and tricks on memorizing, how to memorize, or even should we be memorizing music, uh, certainly let us out there know, of course, going over to gabrielgordon.net. And of course, you can always find uh, Gabriel on Twitter over at Gabriel K. Gordon. would love to hear you guys. And if you want to leave some uh, uh, reviews on the podcast we would love to have you guys there too let's go back right like i have children so do you and we teach them at a very early age how to tie their shoe and i've seen a lot of ways of learning how to tie their shoe by taking you know the rabbit goes down that goes around the loop and it goes back in the hole i've seen that being turned into song i've seen the simple art of getting dressed turned into song Right. What is it about doing this stage? We're using music to help teach kids lessons, teach kids um, directions, how to follow things, how to be their own selves. Why do you think we're using music and not just telling a story without the music? Well, both things are interrelated. So if you are learning how to tie your shoe, as you said, a, a mnemonic device such as music will help the child remember uh, these things. And, and mnemonic devices are extremely important when you're talking about memorization. The, the relationship between music and telling a story can go both ways. As if you're learning how to tie your shoe, that in a sense is telling a story like, you know, the bunny rabbit, uh, the bunny rabbit story for tying your shoe but if you add music to it then that helps in the memorization process the same thing happens when you're learning music if you're learning music and you attach a story to it on the other way around that will help you memorize the music so that's one way of of doing it and that's the other way is for instance going back to tying your shoe um, if you do the tying of the shoe over and over again, if you're actually physically doing that, that's what we call physical memorization and so-called muscle memory. I call it so-called because muscles, obviously, they don't have any memory. Uh, the, the memory is in your brain teaching your muscles 
how to do that. And so by adding music to it and adding a story to it, these are the devices that go into uh, physical memorization. It is that art of doing it over and over again or singing it over and over again and, and hearing those tunes. Right. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was the Suzuki method, a, a way of training people on how to play violin, piano or an instrument and, you know, like it, hate it, have everyone has a strong opinion of it. It is right. a way of having a performance where the kids are learning how to play, but not necessarily learning it by note reading talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on this not necessarily suzuki in general i know we all have our opinions on that but you know should kids be taught how to read it how to play an instrument strictly by rote memory without um learning notation so uh actually it's it's kind of interesting i i once lost a job <laughs> because i was uh, i i answered an ad uh, for a school that uh, you know for for teaching for teaching kids and I and I walked in and and I said um, you know I'm here for the interview and and the person interviewing me was the head of the school and she said well how do you think of what do you think of the Suzuki method and I you know said kind of what you're implying that you know most of my students who came from the Suzuki method uh were students that just simply didn't know how to read they were taught so much by rote uh that they never really learned how to read music and i viewed that as a weakness mm -hmm. and um and i said but you know there are other things about it that are strong and she said well um i was a student of shinuchi suzuki and that's all we teach here so that's kind of an issue and um the great thing about that interview is that i learned a whole lot um, about the Suzuki method, because she said, you know, um, one of the things that we do here is, yeah, we do teach by rote, but that's only to the really, really young ones, the three and the four-year-olds. And the idea is that if you don't know your ABCs yet, you probably shouldn't be reading music just yet. And she said, but all of my students, after they learn their ABCs, she said, within the year, they're reading music. So the, there's there are those teachers who say they teach the Suzuki technique. Um, really, unfortunately, to you know get more students, they say that and they use the books. Um, but a real certified Suzuki teacher um, will teach by rote at first, but then introduce reading very, very early on. And you know that's that's the real difference between those two things. Rote learning is great for the super duper young who really can't intellectualize any of this. Well, I think that has to do with the environment. You know, I, I had a similar situation where my first job right out of college uh, walked into the school district, and they were all proud of the fact that at the end of the year they had a hundred kids all standing on the stage and they were playing, and it was you know that district wide concert where you have the third graders with the high schoolers, right. and and this is what we like seeing. And I took the job, and me and somebody else who she started a couple weeks ahead of me. We actually started midway through the year, so we kind of inherited. A, an entire system and we realized very quickly these ninth graders can't read a lick of music right and yeah. what do you like what, what do you do next right? you have an entire system built around the way two people taught two people who we never had ever met and frankly didn't agree with their philosophies of teaching because now you have all these kids and 
we went into start start doing like you know we wanted to do a full orchestra situation we but they were they they didn't know how to read and of course by the time you get to you know upper elementaries middle school if you're not in a I don't know what's the right word here. Not not conservatory setting, but, you know, general education where you might pick up your violin only for those 45 minutes of class. Right. That's tough to get a seventh grader to suddenly start to realize that they don't know how to read music and this is a problem. And how do you start to move things forward? Right. right. So you know, yeah. ninth graders, we were doing grade two music, but grade two full orchestra music to kind of help them out. Right. So I, I know Suzuki Method, yeah, and yes, I would put myself into that category of I gained a lot of students by teaching off the books, teaching off the ideas. But as a viola player, I'm not Suzuki trained, but right. I think mem memorizing it is important. Now, you had also mentioned in here about, you know, what exactly are we memorizing if you look at the world of classical music? I remember listening to Amadeus. And I know you know the scene where Salieri's there talking to the priest and he sings a bunch of songs and, you know, this one's mine. Oh, I didn't know it. But this one's Mozart's. Oh, I know that. He memorized the tune because it was a well-known tune, easily accessible. Right. So my question, if I can back up five minutes here, is what makes a tune easily memorizable? Hmm. Yeah, I mean that. What makes a tune catchy? You know, there you, go. you know exactly. And and what, um, you know, there 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 are arcs to tunes. And the one of the reasons why a lot of the tunes that we we memorize and and are familiar with come from the classical period um, is because they're really formulaic in a lot of senses. Bernstein famously said Mozart was a genius, but uh, a lot of a lot of the things that he did were in prescribed formulas or forms, as we've been talking about really over the last few weeks. Uh, these forms were pretty much set by the time Mozart came around, and the form for the piece was set. But also, there were forms for just the musical phrases and how they were supposed to go, and. Uh, composers after Mozart's, like Beethoven and, and Berlioz, they just started deviating from all of these formulas. But Mozart pretty much stuck to these formulas. And so if you have, you know, uh, the beginning of, of a tune and then, you know, but all tunes really had a beginning, middle and end in what we call the tail um, at the end of each and every single phrase. And they were generally four measures long and they you know, either went up and then went down or went down or went up. Uh, rarely did they ever, you know, stay in the middle. And for, for that reason, they were easily memorizable. That's a hard word to say. They were easily carried into the memory. And, uh, and you know, that was actually part of um, actually making money uh, through these things because the printing press had, you know, gained access, given access to all of these people who were now able to play this music in their homes. Well, you had to do catchy tunes because it had to be easier for the amateurs that were playing in the home. So catchy tunes came as a result, I would say, of um, all of all of this new business that the composers were able to do. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what makes up a catchy tune. But um, you know, getting back to 
how memorization, how you can memorize music a little bit more. I mean, the reason why we're talking about this uh, is because I got a comment on one of my YouTube videos. Um, it was the the Bieber Pasacalia, uh, which you can find on my channel. Um, and the the Pasacalia is the same four notes over and over again. Um, and I have a video that that explains that on YouTube already, and you can you can go see that if you want. Um, but it being such a simple, simple thing that's the same over and over again kind of makes it hard to memorize. And so when I'm memorizing uh, violin music, uh, I use my physical memory quite a bit more than uh, than my mental memory. So, uh, you know, what we talk about uh, muscle memory, as I said before, that's really coming from your head. But my fingers are going they're they're going more than uh than my brain is going that's the best way i can describe it you're you're describing autopilot kind of yeah i you know my fingers know where to go obviously it's not my fingers it's my brain but uh the 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 next note that comes in the sequence has more to do with my my physical memory than my mental memory. Well, um, let's, let's take a look at that though. Okay, you're yeah. playing a violin and you're playing a melody. Are you saying uh, in your head, A, B, C, D, E, are you going open one, two, three, four? Are you going da, 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 and your body's just going with it? Or are you literally looking at the piece of music in your mind and you're reading the music in your mind? You're just not physically seeing it in front no, of you. No, that's, that's photographic memory, which uh, we'll, we'll get into in, in, in a second. I don't use photographic memory um, for playing the violin. For whatever reason, I, I use different mnemonic devices uh, for memorization. And when it comes to the violin, um, it is literally the amount of times that I have played through every piece that allows me to memorize that piece. I've played it over and over so much that my fingers, uh, I'm not I'm not looking at the music. My fingers just know where to go. Well, let's transpose that, right? If I said to you, Beethoven five, right? We talked a few weeks ago about perfect pitch yeah. and the idea that if you hear something, um, maybe in your mind, you go, okay, third finger on the A string, I hear a D or whatever, you know, yeah. same idea. We're talking about memorizing a pitch, memorizing a sound and putting a, a, a name to it. Over here, we're looking at, can you memorize something? I, I think they're kind of cousins in the world, but if I said to you, Beethoven five, conduct it, um, in your mind, are you putting a, a, a piece of paper up if you are looking at that piece of paper, are you just seeing it as a melody or are you extracting it in your mind? When you look at an orchestra and you're staring at that clarinet player, are you actually seeing the clarinet line in your head or do you just know that that's what they're going to do? What are those techniques for anybody who's looking at a score or, you know, faced with being a conductor maybe or, you know, standing in front of a group and having to memorize not just one line, but the, the whole darn piece? Well, it's really interesting because my experience memorizing with, with conducting was completely different from my experience uh, memorizing as a violinist. You know, grow, growing up, 
um, I memorized all the time as a violinist. And I didn't even think about it because it, it just came naturally from practicing. As a conductor, it was a completely different experience. And I will never forget it because, you know, people talk about being born with a photographic memory and that reference that you made uh, to uh, Mozart and Mozart being able to, uh, you know, just listen to a, a melody once and just being able to play it uh, right back and then do variations on it. it was like, oh, okay, he's a genius. Um, he has a photographic memory. That person's a genius. No, anybody can do this, actually. And I've done, I did a little research in preparation for this podcast, and people talk about photographic memory being rare. I don't know about that, but I do know that. There was a moment when um, I was at Madamic at uh, the conductor's retreat there when I had studied Brahms, the first movement of Brahms' Fourth Symphony so much that uh, and and Ken was actually encouraging me to close my eyes uh, and he actually elicited the photographic memory in my head. The moment I closed my eyes, I couldn't see the players in front of me. Suddenly, I could see the music mm -hmm. passing through my, my closed eyes. That, that was all I could see. And when I opened them again, I did. Just as you were saying, I could see the cellos. I could see the cello line superimposed over the cellist. And I've done it that way ever since. And I'm even able to know when I need to study a certain part more because I'll see all of the parts superimposed on each section uh, in the orchestra. And if I'll look up at the clarinet, I'll actually see a blank space there because, oh, I, I'm not quite familiar I, enough. I, I, I've I've heard of this, and 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 now that you know, now that we're having this conversation, I might have even heard it from you. But we've all certainly been around enough, you know, master conductors where, you know, I, I know a piece really well, but there's a hole here. I don't know this page, or I'm going to go right. back and study page this, right. and that could be from, you know, a specific instrument isn't there. You know, I hear a sound in my head, but I don't know where it belongs, or it's a difficult passage. Um, I've had situations where I've tried to get up and conduct the piece from memory, but in front of me is the score literally on page 32, because I know I need to know 32. Right, yeah. I might not look at it the entire time, but I know 32 is what I need to have. I, I did the same thing in, uh, in Copeland's Billy the Kid, because there was this section uh, where there are a bunch of gunshots. If you go to Billy the Kid, um, you'll you'll know exactly the spot that I'm talking about. And it's a bunch of different cues. And I just simply wasn't entirely sure who came next in, in, in the whole thing. And so I, the, the whole concert I did from memory, but I had that part open right there. I did the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you're standing on the on the podium for over an hour for one page with a stand right. <laughs> exactly or whatever exactly. it takes right and yeah. so now all of this all of this is 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 really impressive but the the um that's it's actually not as impressive as tuscanini tuscanini had a memory and and people talk about his prodigious memory um but nobody really knows until you hear this story about him um, he was having a party, and th this, by the way, this is 
known as a true story. This is not apocryphal, and it's not just like a story musicians tell. Different people from that party tell that story um, independently of each other, you know, to, to different people. So th this actually happened, where somebody asked Tuscanini about his memory and how he conducts from scores. And he's like, well, you know, conducting without a score, that, that's really not a big deal. Um, you know, ha really having a good memory is something else entirely. And they said, well, can you demonstrate that maestro? And he smiled and he said, okay, um, you know, go over to that wall and uh, pick out any of the scores that you see there. And I won't look. And so they went over and picked out the score and uh, they said, okay, now I want you to open that score just to any page. And uh, so they said, um, okay, here's, you know, um, you know, a, according, you know, to, to this page. And um, I guess they had to, they had to tell him uh, which score that was. Yeah. So they, they, they picked, they picked a score. It was some opera. I don't remember what opera it was. And they said, okay, we're going to open the score blindly. So uh, open the score blindly. And um, he said, okay, I want you to uh, tell me what page it's on. So they said, okay, what's the page? Here's the page. And he said, okay, now I want you to pick out one of the, one of the measures in there. Um, and so they picked out the measure on the page and he said, and they said, okay, what's going on here? And he said, okay, this is the chord on that page from this opera. And he played the chord and he said, on this finger, the trombones are playing. And on this finger, the, the, the violins are playing this chord. I mean, he basically well, named I mean, the chord. To be honest, Gabe, I've I've seen Penn and Teller do the same thing, right? Yeah, no, I mean it. it I mean, it's just like <laughs> absolutely ridiculous how he knew exactly what the instrumentation was, exactly what I mean. I, 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 you know, I don't have that level of memory, and I think very, very few humans do. So, you know, but it's something that you can learn, uh, you know, over the course of you know a long period of time. It's just training. Like we were talking about uh, with perfect pitch, it's really just training and you know being able to recognize these patterns and using these different techniques. Um, the photographic memory will come if you stare at the page long enough. The uh, the physical memory of playing um, will come if you practice it enough. Now. They, they, it can go the other way around. I once had a memory slip uh, when I was playing the Beethoven Violin Concerto, and I just wasn't sure what the next note was. But I did know what the next chord was. And because Beethoven Violin Concerto is mostly made up, of, like most Western music of the time, it's made up of scales and arpeggios. And so I knew the next thing was an arpeggio and I knew what the chord was. So I played the chord that came next. And guess what? Then the notes just came kind of on, you know, on themselves. So the more you know the music, then the better your memorization will also come.
We would love to hear what your thoughts are on memorizing music. Do you have a technique? Are you a conductor that's uh, maybe trying to figure out how to start the process of, of memorizing scores? Have you ever had a situation where you're on that podium and you dared yourself to not bring up any music? You're sitting in front of the orchestra and then you go, how does it go again? We've all had those moments. We've all had those opportunities and situations, um, but we would love to hear you guys. Don't forget to make sure that you comment, check us out on social media, all that great stuff. And of course our archives over on gabrielgordon.net. Now, Gabe, you've got some great stuff going on. You mentioned over on your YouTube channel. Um, you've been doing things that are both long form and shorts form, aren't you? Yeah, I've got uh, a few shorts. So basically what I'm doing is really kind of as a preview uh, for another video, I'll take just uh, one minute from uh, a future video and I'll, I'll put it up there kind of as a preview uh, for the next thing. So I've got uh, a one minute video of Brandenburg 3 and Brandenburg 3 is going to be uh, coming pretty soon. And I did the same thing for the Moonlight Sonata, and uh, my Moonlight Sonata is doing pretty well on YouTube now, and you should go check those out. Excellent. Over at gabrielgordon.net forward slash YouTube. Um, let's kind of put a bow on this whole thing, right? Talking about memorizing, talked a little bit about how we memorize as, as, as youths, uh, talked about how we memorize as, as musicians, as conductors. Um, where does it go, right? Like you, you talked about Tuscanini having the madness of doing that. Um, yeah. I know you and I both share a couple other conducting activities in common, you know, ballets, operas and things. Um, is it, is it, does it ever get to a point where it's just too much, right? Because honestly, I remember being on stage at an opera. You've got yourself. You have to keep in mind what you're doing. You've got your orchestra who um, they've got the music. They might be pros, semi-pros. You've got the singers you've got to focus on. You've got the stage motions you've got to focus on. You've got chorus on chorus off um can you saturate yourself with this well i think it just depends i mean somebody like tuscanini you know obviously he he conducted all of his operas from memory uh and you know Kleiber and you know some of the greats um i think you could you know actually i would say uh the story of the opera um certainly helps in the memorization telling those stories really you know the when when people talk about making a mind palace uh and being able to memorize uh huge stretches of numbers the way they memorize those numbers is by telling a story to themselves so if you uh understand the form of a piece that's that's one of the main ways in which i memorize a score is i know that the next thing that comes is the development section and that's a device that allows me to say, okay, I know exactly what happens at the beginning of the development section. And that carries me along into the next section. Okay, recapitulation. That's how the recapitulation starts. In this particular symphony, the composer uses this really, really cool device to get back into the recapitulation. Well, that launches me right into the next part of the piece and helps me memorize. If you're doing opera, then you know the next part of the story will launch you into the next part of the music so using all of these different techniques can really help you memorize you know lastly here i want to ask you about the level of players 
and the need or use of memorizing, right? We've all had situations where you, you have a piece that you've known for a long time. You might have conducted it numerous times or it might be the third week of doing that musical with your with your group. But right. then you realize that, okay, I've got new musicians here or maybe I'm walking into like an Allstate situation where you know the piece really well, but your players are still new. Right. Even though you've memorized it, should you still have a score and do the page flipping just in case you look down at your concert master and their eyes are bugging out going, uh, where are we with all this? Well, you know, a lot of people have said that to me because I, I, I've memorized music and not had to stand there in front of many youth symphonies. And they're like, you know, these are students. Are you sure you want to do that? Well, I've got it memorized. So I know even if they get off, I can get them back on. Um, and so that's number one. But number two, at the same time, um, I have never uh, not had a score in front of me when it's a student soloist. Um, I, you know, I don't want the soloist to be nervous or even thinking about the fact that you know, there's no score there. And so I, I you know, I want to make the soloist as comfortable as humanly possible. So I always have the score there whenever there's um, in particular a student soloist. And yeah, I mean, it just depends on your comfort level. Um, do you really have the entire piece memorized? If you truly have it memorized, then you'll notice immediately when somebody when somebody you know is not um, you know is not where they're supposed to be and you'll be able to get them back in if you kind of have it memorized and you know how it goes um, then maybe you should have the score in front of you no matter what what do you do in those situations and I know you've had them I've had them every conductor has them you're in the moment you're conducting and you just say to yourself I'm not turning the next page. We're going to go with this. And then you get a couple more pages in and you're like, that was a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? Um, I've only had one moment like that, actually, um, where it was it was uh, the Russian Easter Overture um, and uh, by Rimsky-Korsakov. And that piece, kind of like the Bieber, Pasakalia, it's really repetitive and he... You know, there's like one section and then he stops and then he goes to another section and then he goes back to the first section and then he goes back to the next section. And, and it's it's really uh, there was one moment when I cut the orchestra off and I really didn't know what came next. <laughs> and you can I actually videotape myself and you can see me just hesitate right there. And I was like, OK. I'm going to give a downbeat and we'll see what happens. And I gave a downbeat and the next thing happened. And then I knew exactly where I was. So that was the, actually the only time that's ever happened uh, to me where I was just a, a little bit unsure. Um, if you decide to go for it, see, I mean, that's one thing why, one reason why you probably don't want to have music in front of you, it gives you the impetus to really get a different feeling uh, for the music and then bring that to the orchestra. Um, if you suddenly realize that you made a mistake, um, then you should probably just find yourself if you have the score right there, um, you know, just find where you are and then continue. 
Those are called the thank cues, I believe. Yeah, right. When, when, when the orchestra's telling you where it is, I mean, look, I'm not going to bring up the famous story of the world-renowned blue-eyed wonder left-handed conductor who uh, was conducting, I believe it was Mendelssohn 5, I think it was, and didn't quite know where he was in the score and yeah. had to look down at the first violin section. Maybe his teacher was in the first violin section going, okay, now. And we were all landed together. (laughs) Yeah, definitely the thank yous. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So we want to hear what you guys think. Uh, We we are having a good time kind of going down memorizing memory lane here. Um, Of course, this is the art of listening. We put out this show every single two weeks on Friday morning. And Gabe, it's great. Uh, Again, we had a great conversation last uh, last show with Alfonso Chirero. You can check that out. That was episode number four. And all the archives are over on gabrielgordon.net. Gabe, as we go through here, what do you hope people are taking out of this podcast as we go through our, our curriculum here? What are you looking to have be the, uh, the the theme of this podcast moving forward? Perhaps maybe this is the first show people are listening to. Yeah, I, I, we're, we're going to talk about all things, you know, pertaining to music and, uh, you know, also things that I. Uh, you know, can help you in in other ways. I mean, all of these memorization techniques, uh, they apply to many other things. If you're memorizing a speech, it's great to actually put it into song. And if you put it into song, you're going to have a much easier time memorizing and vice versa. So all of our conversations are going to be about music, but they're also going to pertain to lots of other things. And we hope that you have a chance to check out this show and all of the other ones in here. The Art of Listening, again, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere that you guys get your stuff. And we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of The Art of Listening. So next time, on behalf of myself and Gabriel Gordon, enjoy the music.